and brightest day and blackest night. All other podcasts tremble in fright. Losers cower before the power. Oranges lust and blues you can trust. Indigos feel and white ones heal. Yellow scare and green ones dare. That sapphire love and black hands glove will rock your foundation without hesitation. Chad and Mars face evil's minds. Respect their power for they'll make you see the light. Hi, everybody. I'm Chad Volkelman. I'm Dan Kurtzke. And I'm Mark Marvel. And this is the Lantern Cast. Episode 451. Woohoo! Yay! Milestone. <laughs> oh man. Uh yeah. Did the uh, Mark uh, Mark released to uh, 450 today. So we we dropped an episode and recorded an episode on the same day. <laughs> wow. Has been known yeah. to happen before. Probably. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> never the never the same episode though. Oh no no this no, we we have never released in 450 and recorded 451 on the same day before. You know though I've you know I and this is this is obviously not going to happen like this year even but like I I've been toying around with the idea of like starting a Twitch channel uh, stuff like that because I do have a a kind of capture uh, 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 piece of hardware on my Switch dock. Um, so, you know, I could, I could get into that and I've got the setup and stuff for it. So I've been toying with that idea. And because I've been thinking about, I was like, you know, what else could you do with that same technology? And it's like, what if we live streamed a recording of the lantern cast? Like, is there an audience for listening live to a podcast being recorded that's going to be released later? Uh, I don't know. There are, podcasts that, there are podcasts that do that. I mean, it would just come down to, like, can you advertise it well enough that you are doing it? Right, for sure. Because I, 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 with the tech, and I'm pretty sure, like, I'd be able to take Mark's audio and route it through the stream deck to be able to, like, you know, have the audience be able to hear both sides of the conversation, obviously. And then you could obviously get more, because the, the streams can be, like, archived, right? So, like, mm-hmm. I could get more involved with it. And, be, you know, I'd be on camera, Mark, up to him if he'd want to be or not. And then I can, like, you know, if we're talking about issues, I could pull up relevant panels and stuff. And there could be a sort of exclusive, quote unquote, video component that that necessarily maybe a podcast audience wouldn't get. I don't know. I was just playing around with that idea. But obviously not happening in 2021. <laughs> <laughs> and no promises outside of that. But I was almost late to recording today because I, I wanted to bring this up because Mark might have something to say about it. Today is Tuesday, the 14th of September, and um, Tuesday is when new Blu-rays and stuff hit. So I went out and about and I picked up the Black Widow Blu-ray. This would be the first time I'd been, been able to you know, watch it, basically, in terms of when it actually uh, hits my hands. But you know what I noticed is what, the first place I stopped was Walmart. Because the usually release day, they're cheaper than, say, like Target or other places. Walmart sold out. I go over to my local Target, sold out. I had to drive to the next town over to just get Black Widow on Blu-ray. And it, not only not only that, in terms of staying in stock as a point of conversation or, or topic of conversation, 
I also, because I stopped at Walmart first, I forgot that Zack Snyder's Justice League came out on Blu-ray. So I picked that up while I, when I first stopped there. And I've, uh, I've, I've, I've confirmed a trend. Have you guys noticed if you pick up Blu-rays that Warner Brothers has stopped including digital codes with their stuff? I have not noticed that. I haven't bought a WB Blu-ray in forever. So yeah, I, I wouldn't have. Actually, I haven't bought a Blu-ray probably in for and forever either but the reality is no i didn't notice it would it doesn't surprise me that if everybody sort of stops doing that now uh considering how big streaming is and because everything's going to end up being on some platform at some point anyway it probably it's just interesting to me that you know the the i don't want to say the the d2 big ones but definitely one of them in terms of disney plus disney's black widow came with a blu-ray and a digital code but the WB's Zack Snyder Justice League didn't come with a digital code, and it came with that rather an insert to, with a QR code to go, hey, go download HBO Max. Um, and the reason I say I confirmed it is because when I picked up, um, I think it was Doom Patrol Season 2 on Blu-ray, it also didn't come with a d- digital code, though uh, Doom Patrol Season 1 Blu-ray did. So I was like, what in the holy hell is going on? Because twofold, it's like, one, I thought it was very interesting from from an audience perspective that because I have never run into a situation where the Blu-ray release has sold out same day, which I thought was extremely interesting. So I'm wondering, you know, due to the pandemic's effect on stuff and whether or not people are willing to pay the premium access on Disney Plus or wait until it shows up on Disney Plus or whatever for free. I'm, I'm, I'd be very curious, Mark. Maybe we should pay attention to the Blu-ray sales of uh, of Black Widow and see if there's some news there that talks a bit about the uh, the aftermarket exposure for that. I mean, obviously, I'm a little late to the party in terms of watching it in general, but that might be a, a good coda to include on you, you and uh, Jim's conversation about Black Widow reception. You mean me and Dan? You and Dan. Oh, my God. I'm sorry. <laughs> Sorry, guys. <laughs> I've never been more offended in your life. <laughs> well, at least, well, well, at least, I mean, he said he hadn't seen the movie, so we guess we could have assumed this. But if, if we needed confirmation, he didn't listen to the episode. Well, at least we know that we're even more proof now. <laughs> Why would I listen to it and spoil? <laughs> yeah. I trust this good su- content. <laughs> I'm actually surprised that uh, Black Widow is out already. Is that? Is it actually out? My perception of this is that it's out earlier than it normally would be but maybe it's just because i know how close we are to the holidays and assumed it would come out closer to like to like black friday or something i don't know it's gonna, it'll be on disney plus by then yeah well so it's i believe Probably. it's october 6th is disney plus when it's supposed to hit um i don't think blu-ray wise like a hard copy blu-ray i don't think this release schedule is too too crazy it might be actually it might be slightly earlier, but I don't think it's significantly earlier. Well, it came out in July, and we're only in September, so that I think I think Dan's probably right. I mean, we're, we're, we're now with the theatrical windows being altered and things like that, then maybe this is going to be more common. But the reality is, usually a movie that gets released in let's say it was released in May, it's like it's like let's say it was Endgame. And Endgame got the point is that I think that because maybe because of the theatrical windows that's the reason why these are shrink these are shrinking but normally no a movie that comes out in the beginning of July wouldn't be coming out almost almost direct you know like t- two months to the day a little bit more like an extra week but almost two months to the day that that it 
first premiered. Now it, w- it would definitely take longer than that. Yeah. yeah, I would I would assume that it's a it's a result of you know you know they know people did like didn't go to the theater, so they're trying to to recoup that in every other avenue as like quicker than they otherwise would have before. You know, and, I mean as far as like the streaming codes, like all I can think is that. You know, they have they see the numbers. They know how many people actually use those. So maybe they just got to a point where they're like, you know, this isn't worth it. I don't know. I redeem every single one of them. Oh, and speaking of, uh, if either of you guys are interested and and don't plan on buying it yourselves, for some reason, my Black Widow Blu-ray came with two digital download codes. So you one of you guys are welcome to have it. <laughs> have nice. an extra one. <laughs> but uh, that's not why we're here tonight. I just thought it was interesting because we do talk about movies a little bit on here uh, and the 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 duo the the double hit of black widow just straight up being sold out at two you know mass market chain stores like walmart and target and i had to go to the town over to find one uh same day that was intense uh and that was i'd never seen that before i have been the kind of person who will show up at like midnight uh on the on you know between monday and tuesday to find uh, the the brand new blu-ray i've been anticipating um but i've never seen other people do that i've never seen a line waiting for blu-rays i've never seen them sold out uh i I just thought that was strange but i mean regardless we're not here to talk about that we're here to talk about uh what green lantern six right oh yeah I mean, oh, yeah, we did could. You want, we did you want to just, say something? Did you want to say something else, Dan? Because it sounded like you did. <laughs> well, there. I mean, there was there. There honestly, there was a brief window there where I considered waiting for the Blu-ray release to see this movie, not because any expectations I I had for the movie, but more just on like I I have been one of those people who is uneasy about theaters because of COVID and also don't really like the practice of like well you you have you pay for your disney plus subscription how about another 30 dollars and we'll show you the movie like at that point i'm like you know maybe maybe just waiting for blu-ray and watching it at home is best but ultimately didn't pull the trigger on that but i could definitely see other people doing it also part of me wants to talk about black widow D- uh, blu-rays more than i want to talk about this issue Ooh, that's that that's it that's quite an interesting <laughs> A telltale sign right there, son of foot. Well, we better get into it to yeah, figure out yeah. what, what what went wrong. Oh <laughs> boy, us. mark mark your calendars, everybody. <laughs> Dan's going joining us on the dark side in terms of negative thoughts about the uh, a series. Let's go. Yeah, what was that story? Dark side of the green. Yeah, let's go. All right. <laughs> so, Green Lantern number six, written by Jeffrey Thorne, pencils by Marco Santucci and Tom Rainey, colors by Mike Atia, and letters by Simon Boland. So this issue backs up a bit and shows us what Joe was doing while Simon was on the surface of New Korrigar retrieving Kelly. Uh, on the way there, Joe is basically reading Sinestro's Wikipedia entry, getting a crash course on all the bad things he's done in events like Infinite Crisis and the Sinestro Corps War. After taking a moment to fill in Simon and the reader on how her ring is different from a standard issue Green Lantern ring, in case you didn't read Far Sector, we get Mark's favorite scene where another rookie Lantern totally owns those same five Sinestro Corps members for the second time, second issue in a row. Uh, I can I can hear Mark's tears from here. Screw them all. <laughs> Screw them all. <laughs> um, then we're treated to Joe and Sinestro having an incredibly disappointing conversation that ends when she confirms that he didn't attack the central battery on Oa and then all the green people go home. 
Over in John's half of the story, a mixture of Kilowog's distress call and Sakari's telepathically (laughs) shared memories start to fill us in on what seemed to be the primary threat, a cult-like organization that's been going around assimilating populations for at least a hundred years in the name of someone or something they call the Lightbringer. They arrive by way of transmat gates, and instantly, an entire planet seems to just get brainwashed into obedience and quickly kill anyone who the brainwashing didn't work on. Salak sends Kenzie's team to go and save Kilowog, Hanu, and whatever, uh, whatever part of the planet's population hasn't fallen yet, but they may already be too late. Kenzie's actually run 60 rescue, uh, rescue operations like this, and only managed to save 20 lanterns in the process. John goes with Kenzie's team to rescue to rescue Kilowog and is immediately confronted with the same man who's been appearing to him since issue number one, this time revealing himself to be Lonar of New Genesis, here to watch John save or destroy the universe. Either way, he, he could go either way. <laughs> you know, whatever you want to do. We saw Lonar in, or a version of Lonar in uh, Infinite Frontier, right? Uh, that it was actually a crime syndicate. He was oh, on crime. Lex's team. That's right. That's right. That's right. The multiverse hijinks have me all confused. Uh, okay. Yes, it was in crime syndicate. <clears throat> it's interesting. <sighs> is it? Is it interesting? <laughs> well, I mean, it's, well is it let's fun? start. He- let's start here because there's two big things in this in this issue that I just didn't like at all, and two of them are things that I've wanted to see for a very long time. And one of them, I have been wanting to know who that dude in the the black and white outfit in issue one was, because it was supposed to be some like like you could tell like oh we're being teased with something that's gonna be important later. And who is this? How did he study the book of Oa? When did that happen? What's ha- who is this guy? And then who's this second guy that's dressed just like him on uh, Sakari's pa- planet? And it, God, okay, so spit it out, Dan. <laughs> The the hard thing about writing a mystery, right, is that not only does it have to be engaging and thought-provoking and fun along the way, it also has to pay off in a way that makes everything that you've read up to that point, like, tie together and feel good and feel satisfying. This, like, once we get the revelation of who this is, John specifically said, you're that guy that I saw on Oa. And you're that guy I saw on uh, 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 whatever the hell Sakari's planet's called. And if you go back and look at those two instances, yes, it's a different artist. They are two completely (laughs) different people. They're not even from the same planet. They have different skin color, different hair. One of them has horns. And I'm like, okay, you know what? I don't know anything about Lonar. Let me look up Lonar. Maybe he's got like, like some kind of some kind of shape-shifting ability or he uses some technology that like projects his image through other people or what like some kind of thing that would account for this. And everything I could find on this character just says, "Nah, man, he's like a new god and he does new god stuff, so he's like strong and junk." And like I'm like, "What the what the hell?" Like this like I I want to make this clear. I am fine. I've been throwing out all sorts of crazy theories about this story, and I am fine with being wrong as long as the the answers we do get are fun and cool. This feels like cheating. This feels like like it's 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 the cliche of like, oh, the butler did it. You know, it's like like we put this these questions in front of you, didn't give you 
the tools to answer them and then pulled an answer out of nowhere that you couldn't have guessed. And I, I recognize that just a name reveal isn't giving us everything. And issue seven could open with something that makes me look like a complete idiot right now. And I honestly hope it does. But as it is, I'm like, wow, I've been trying to figure out who this guy is since issue one and what the implications are of there being more than one person wearing that same uniform based on Sakari's planet, that guy showing up, only to find out that, oh, actually, it's it, it's, it was just this. What do you guys think? <laughs> and we discussed the fact that, because remember, we had that discussion when we did that, that second issue four when he appeared in, because you and I were talking, like, is it supposed to be the same guy? And it's like, no, he looks completely different. It's like, other than the uniform. It's like, well, I, yeah, I mean... It turns out, guess what? We were both kind of right. <laughs> I mean, that's that's like that's like, hey, hey, you know, every member of the Sinestro Corps wears the same clothes. I I sure do confuse Jessica Cruz with Slush. Like, like it's, <laughs> who would see the same outfit and assume, oh, that's got to be the same person, even though every single fi- physical feature they possess is different. <laughs> Yeah, subverting expectations as a as a plot device or as a way to tell your story is can be a fun thing to pull to play and toy with as a writer. But you, there's there's all like with everything else, there's a line. And yeah, what you're talking about feels like crossing the line, aka cheating. So I I mean I agree with you. It it does feel like a a misstep. It and personally. Uh, I also feel uh, artistically on both sides of the coin and uh, on, on, on both both stories being told here. I thought this was also uh, a, uh, an issue that had uh, some some pretty strange, uh, poorly executed moments. Not I mean, there, there are a few there are a few things such as like when we see this this civilization, whatever, in the second part of the story, like uh, with the boom tubes or whatever, the transmat gates, you know, the the way the their architecture and the background and stuff like that. There's some really cool stuff design wise, but again, execution wise, on both sides of the coin on this one, I feel uh, I feel pretty let down uh, artistically on this. Uh, I don't know why, but for some reason, and maybe I'm crazy, the the first story feels more ink heavy than it usually is. Uh, there's some there's something different about the lines with with the characters are thicker or whatever but regardless getting back to lonar uh, i looked him up because i'm you know it's new gods none of us really give a shit about the new gods on this on this podcast but uh i looked him up and and like other new gods he's got the, some of the same abilities agility divine powers immortal invulnerability longevity stamina super strength unarmed combat and he's a weapons master but did you know he appeared before crime syndicate he appeared in other something else green lantern related Yes, I did because I listened to Myron's podcast by Luck of the Draw. So I actually did. I did. I said, "Oh, that's pretty interesting." But go ahead, Chad. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, unfortunately, people out there, uh, last time we saw Lonar in something Green Lantern related, it was Threshold. <laughs> oh God! Well, actually, that's not what he mentioned in Threshold. I don't think he mentioned Threshold. Uh, well, the Hunted. What did he? No, he mentioned he was supposed to be involved in. Oh God! Now we got. It was related to the story, the event that Zanshi got blown up in. Oh, Cosmic Odyssey. Odyssey. Yes, I think it was Cosmic Odyssey. But either way, I don't think he said, yeah, unless I'm completely zoning out, I don't think he said anything about Threshold. He's, but he was talking about that they had, enca- they had encountered each other somewhere during you know, th- th- that event. 
so that, but that's why, at least in Myron's opinion, it was weird that John didn't seem to recognize him. But then again, if he keeps shifting, if he keeps looking different, I guess it makes sense. <laughs> yeah, Thresh, Threshold the Hunted is one of them. But I did, I did click on. Uh, so like, Comic Vine will tell you like the main stories you've seen these guys in. Uh, but then you can click to see all appearances. And yes, uh, the Cosmic Odyssey is listed here. But I just thought Threshold the Hunted was like, what in the holy hell is happening so here? What, so what you're saying is we should all reread Threshold. Oh, hell no. I will go I will go through the diverticulitis again twice before I read that thing. Didn't that also have Larfleeze backups? It did. Your your favorite your two favorite pieces of Green Lantern media put together like some sort of <laughs> of poison Reese's cup. The Larfleeze stuff wasn't that bad, but at the same time, if you're looking at it and, and I'm going off topic, so I'll just I'll just leave it at this. But like the Larfleeze stuff wasn't that bad if you take it for what it is. My entire problem with it is just making Larfleeze a joke to begin with. Yeah. If you go in with the premise that this is gonna be a joke story, this is gonna be comedy, haha, then okay, fine. It, it's it's fine for what it is in some respects. But I just have a whole problem with the premise to begin with. So but that's neither here nor there. Yeah, Lonar. It does feel like a cheat. It does feel like BS. And speaking of cheats, how do we feel about these uh, Sinestro Corps members getting their asses handed to them, Mark? Oh, God. <laughs> there's, the, there's so much to talk about in the in the first part. I mean, the sec, to be perfectly honest, the second part of the story that means jack to me. The only thing that's interesting about it is the Lonar part and the Golden Centurions or all that crap, the Lightbringer and all that crap. And what, as far as what it means down the road, hopefully something of interest in the story. But other than that, those reveals... Yeah, it, it, it's it's more the same. It's just, it's these it's the John Stewart part of this book that's just like the future state issues. Now that they split and gone that route, that's the part of the book that most people find the most boring. <laughs> so it's which is not good when that's supposed to be the character that you really want to write. But let's talk. So let's deal with the first the first part. Yeah, it's you can only emasculate these characters so many times. I mean, it's like it's you know. I understand, like we and Dan's point is valid that maybe Kelly's able to was able to do what she did just because of how powerful the gauntlet is. Maybe the Joe stuff's really hard to swallow. Again, she still barely knows what the hell she's doing with with her ring. Her ring is not as powerful as other as regular Green Lantern rings to begin with. It's just I don't. It's just and, that, and the sad part is that's not even the that's not even the worst part of this story. Uh, this part of the story. I mean, this is, and I mentioned this when when Chad and I recorded, when Chad Corman and I recorded last week, that when we talked, when we talked a little bit about this issue, uh, even Joe's attitude in this issue, it's like it's like she was taking the the full on contrarian mode, no matter what any what anybody said to her. Like if you told her mm-hmm. the sky was blue, she would say it was green. So it's like it's like sassy attitude, Joe, which is now you know. So she, so this is for certainly the first issue in this series that she's written. In my opinion, that it really goes against the type that, or the, in the archetype that we saw, you know, in uh, Far Sector. So it's it's nothing more than an attitude, Joe. And if, yeah, if you said if you tell, told her the sky was blue, she'd tell you that it was green just because you said it was blue. But if you said it was green, then she'd tell you it was blue. She, yeah, did she that. sounded like a kid trying to sound tough. Yeah. And, and 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 the fact that it was so heavily concentrated in the beginning when she was before she even got onto New Corridor, just when she was dealing with the. But the Thanagarian and everything, it's like, it's like, oh, well, it's like that automatically turned me off. It's like, wow, this is not that's not that's really not the Joe that the, the, the things that I like about Joe, that ain't it. Then you get to and it was funny as, as Dan was talking, I was re- flipping through the book again. It, it's interesting that like they 
that twice in the beginning of this book they have her standing like like uh, bow-legged. And when I was seeing, when I was looking at it, it just reminds me of that's it looked just like zombie Janet Van Dyne in the what if in the what if zombie episode with her knees bent in towards each other and her body slumped over. Uh, but that's not really related to the story. The thing that I the some of the stuff with Sinestro. Some of the stuff is interesting, but that reminded me of two things, too. One also was MCU, and it's like, uh, everything you read about me, does it say in my file that I'm a liar? It's kind of like, a, my father is many things, but a liar is not one of them. But it also, from Endgame, but it also reminded me of the first part of the Dead Again Superman story, when Superman was trying to figure out why that, you know, who the hell put that, fi- suppose, as far as he was concerned, the fake, you know, the fake dead body back in his tomb, which in, which indicate would indicate he wasn't really Superman and he didn't really come back from the dead. So the first stop he makes, which always annoyed me, was the Eradicator and confronted the Eradicator and the Outsiders. And mind you, this was the David Connor Eradicator at that point. So it made even less sense that he would be so accusatory. But he essentially accuses him of playing head games with him. And it's like the Eradicator just says, if I wanted to play games with your mind, I'd stick my fingers in, in your skull and massage your brain. And <laughs> getting the point across that subtlety is not my way. <laughs> If I was going to fuck with you, you would know it. And that's essentially what Sinestro says. It's like, hey, if I was the one responsible for this, basically, I'd be, <laughs> I'd be writing my big name, I'd write like a big, big letter. Sinestro was here on the fragments of the power battery, <laughs> which is partially true. But it also follows the the annual a little bit too much where it seems like Sinestro's coda is is like, uh, give me any Green Lantern. And I'm going to be pal- I'm going to be Palpatine-esque and I'm going to try to. See if I can seduce them to the dark side when the right time comes. Oh, the annual twists the knife on this issue so badly. Because, like, the annual was supposed to come out, like, a, a week, at least a week before, but ended up coming out the same day. So I read these two issues in one sitting back to back and got to see the annual have a better version of this same exact scene where it's like, oh, hey, here's this really pretty cool conversation between Jessica and Sinestro about the nature of fear and then come to this where, Hey, here's a conversation between Joe and Sinestro where she, where Sinestro is fine. And Joe may as well be sticking her tongue out at him going, like, like the reason that I wanted to see these two characters talk to each other is because throughout far sector, we got so many instances of, Joe having to talk to a corrupt person in power who in a situation where she has no leverage or ability to change anything, but she still is intelligent enough to be able to cut to the heart of the problem and like say something that has enough of an impact to project power and strength and a, a real firm grasp of the complexities of what's going on. So like in my mind, that is the person who I would most want to see get into it verbally with someone like Sinestro, who is he's earnest while also being incredibly manipulative and plans three moves ahead. So I'm like, as soon as I saw her land on his balcony, I'm like, here we go. This is going to be my favorite issue of this run so far. And half of her dialogue is just like, I don't her saying her him asking her a question and her saying, I don't know, is it or I'll I'll you'll know when I tell you or like all this like just just really short bullshit. Like, I mean, Mark, you've you've been saying for a while, especially like when she first showed up in this series, that Joe does not feel like the same character to you as the one that we got in Far Sector. And I haven't 
understood that before, but like this issue, that feeling hit me like a truck. And I sh- I could not believe it. I'm like, I finished it. I'm like, as soon as she asked to leave, I'm like, oh, thank God, please leave. End this scene. And again, I mean, actually, I, I was thinking regarding the annual, I was thinking about this today or probably probably yesterday when I was actually putting the final touches on on the episode, actually. The one thing we didn't discuss when we discussed the annual was that whole conversation that Joe, excuse me, that Jessica and Hal had about, it's like, do you, any, do you know anybody named Joe Mullen or Joe Moline? Because she sent out the signal and I don't know who the hell she is, <laughs> which is such a, which is such a relevant point, which is again, one of the reasons why it's hard to believe Hal would not make his way to Oa because why would you just believe this person is who they say they are and you don't know anything about them. So why are you just taking literally almost like taking marching orders from this person? She has no, know. she has like no standing anywhere except she's being forced in. She's like being forced upon us to have this kind of standing. She's literally a member of the core by name only because she's never had any interaction with the core as far as we know. Now, we, they could give us some retconning and backstory where between the time she arrived in Oa that she had some little some missions with the core and before she whatever. And again, where where's her master detective work so far? We ain't seen it. It's like she flew. Oh, I came to New Corridor just to get just to get my people. And it's like, oh, I know you didn't do. I I mean, it's like, I know you didn't do it anyway, because it's like I, I think they're trying to they're trying to gesture towards that through through like the fact that she she knows enough about him to know that he's not lying, but it's not good enough. I don't even know what I'm trying to say. I'm just very disappointed. And now you've got me wondering how many Green Lanterns Hal Jordan actually knows. <laughs> and, I, and I and my brain's just going off in that direction. I just yeah. I, it was just funny to me. It was just funny to me that I thought about it as I'm listening to our the conversation in the in the annual issue and it's like episode and it's like yeah we never even once really spent much time on the whole point and that whole point about do you know who the hell this person is? Cause I don't, but then she'd give an order. She's tell, telling people not to come back to Oa. I just thought it was a I actually thought it was a nice Hal Jessica moment in a, in a overall annual that had Hal being a, more of a dick than he probably would have been to Jessica. <laughs> so I, I just, I get what you guys are saying. I, I, I've been thinking about like how to word it. It just, it, she's, she's our, she's our first, you know, um, you know, uh, LGBTQ community, uh, uh, Landron. She's also one, you know, uh, obviously a black woman. So like, there's a lot of representation they've had with her and a lot of attention has been put on her, you know, obviously outside of deep, we're talking, we're talking in the real world. Um, uh, so I get Thorne's inclination to, to try and portray her as a take charge and, in, in this very positive light and, and, you know, uh, a badass and all this stuff, but the way he's going about it feels so inconsistent with her character. Like, okay, we get it. She spent some time on this other planet. She figured out this big mystery. She, you know, or was revealed or whatever. She's gotten, she spent some time getting familiar with her ring in some way, shape or form. But we, that, that series while I, you know, in, in a lot of ways, I, I know I personally feel this way. I don't remember necessarily, Mark, how you felt at the end of it. But in a lot of ways, I I say Far Sector is better than the entirety of the, the Morrison run. That's for me. Yep. But while I enjoy it, I don't think there's anything in that story that that earns where she is right now. 
True. I agree with that. She's. She, do I believe that that story can lead to this, given enough time and or experience or certain situations? Sure. But in the current established timeline in story between what takes place in Far Sector and what we're seeing here, the two don't equal each other. There's something missing here. And the disconnect and the, the drive here to portray her in a certain way while I could see her becoming this, I don't think she's earned this yet, which I feel I would say for anybody I was introduced to in a similar fashion. Yeah, she's, be, she's being elevated clearly because now it may not be Thorne, because this could have been one of the things Thorne was told to do. Like supposedly the central power battery being destroyed was not a Thorne idea. That it's something he had to do. He had to. He had to. He had to include in his story. So maybe the maybe having Joe so prevalent. I doubt it, but I'm just saying, playing devil's advocate, maybe uh, that that was something he got he got stuck with. But the reality is, yes, there's no doubt that we are being forced upon her because it's an editorial decision or a writer's decision. She does not deserve this place in the core. Yeah, I mean, as we'll talk more about in a couple minutes, we know actually why these why joe is in this book in this capacity like and there's actually there's two reasons for it the first is that when jeffrey thorne was getting ready for this run he looked at the fact that okay we've got these two green lantern characters in kelly and joe who have been around for a while now but only existed in other books and and he wants to address them in green lantern proper and to do that, it's like, okay, let's bring them in and give them things to do. And the other is, yeah, it was a DC mandate that the battery had to blow up. And it and when you have to deal with that specific storyline and you have these two you have characters that are basically Green Lanterns that don't need the central battery to function, it it's kind of a natural choice to give them an elevated role to play in the story that you're telling. Like, I understand the, the, the urge to think that, well, why is this brand new character suddenly being elevated to this position of authority while other characters are being sidelined? And I don't know. I, I, I don't know if it's just a case of like, I think it makes enough sense in the story. Like, like I always think about it because so much of what's going on in the book right now parallels what happened around Emerald Twilight. And I just always think of it as like, well, what if Kyle Rayner got his ring the day the the battery blew the day this time around the day the battery blew and his ring still worked and Suddenly he had to go and be in charge of all of like this relief effort on Oa and learn all this stuff for the first time. Like, like I don't think it has <laughs> anything specifically to do with Joe herself. I think it has to do with the fact how her ring works and the fact that she is a she is a Green Lantern protagonist that has never been featured in the Green Lantern book before. So I think you may be misunderstanding me, or at least my point. So my point isn't that it doesn't make sense that she's in the leadership position. She's one of the few people with a working ring. She's one of the uh, on OA and she's got police experience that I get. What I'm saying though, is her sliding into this so easily making decisions 
right there, right then and there, acting like an experienced detective where she's figuring, you know, this and that out or giving orders, sliding into the, the, the leadership structure of the United Planets and or the way in which the core works, taking charge of all of this stuff. The Joe we met in Far Sector, I feel, may feel that she has an obligation or uh, some sort of uh, uh, another way to say the word obligation that maybe is, is better applied here, but would still be doubting herself, starting to learn the history of the core a little bit, uh, making wrong decisions here and there. But she's like sidling up to Sinestro like it's no big deal. She's like the, the things in her being in the leadership position bother me. It makes sense based on everything that's gone on. What I'm saying is the way in which she's conducting herself doesn't seem to be consistent with the Joe we saw in Far Sector. And I can see the Joe we saw in Far Sector getting to the way this Joe is portraying herself and handling herself. I can see that. But what I'm saying is the timeline of events that's supposed to have happened between then and here is not enough for her to get to this point, I feel like, because and it, it's probably a bad con- comparison, at least not as an ex- this is a more extreme comparison. If we were introduced to Jessica Cruz in one big story arc and we were told this is her, this is how she got this power, this is how she became a Green Lantern. Oh, by the way, she has severe agoraphobia. She's got a mental challenge and stuff like that 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 she has to overcome. But here's why she's a good Green Lantern. Great, great, great. If the very next time we saw Jessica Cruz... She had some story arc where she just suddenly is now over her agoraphobia. We'd go, what in the holy hell happened for her okay. to she, – she can't just do a heel turn like this. Now, this is not an as extreme heel turn as a mental illness, but there is something drastically, I feel, in the way Joe is carrying herself and handles herself here that doesn't feel consistent with what we saw of her in Far Sector. Yeah, and I I – as you've been saying that, I've been thinking back, and like I think they kind of so- started to, to gesture towards, like when when she first showed up, and they were talking about her becoming like you know she is Oa's representative on the United Planets Council now, and she's trying to like, kind of trying to sidestep that, but we only ever see it that one time. Like like I think something that's missing from these pages that could have helped is if, like, this whole time we've been seeing her kind of trying to duck certain parts of the responsibility that she doesn't feel qualified for, or if she's putting stuff off or trying to push it onto Simon or somebody. Or, or hell, I mean, I think a big difference between Far Sector and this is that we don't really get inside her head very much. Like, half of the dialogue, half of the Joel Moline uh, dialogue in Far Sector was text boxes of her thoughts and for the most part like maybe it's because she only has like half of an issue or less and has to share that with like a a bunch of other characters and everything but like it seems like all there's time for when she's on panel is whatever gets vocal vocalized out loud and that's kind of less than half of what made us like this character it's also possible that thorn just doesn't have a good enough grasp on her but yeah no that makes that makes more sense i didn't i didn't get what you were where you were coming from before yeah i think and i guess i'm somewhere either in between or i or i look at it from both directions i and 
I do agree it could have been on one basic level, and maybe it maybe it really is the same point. The idea that if we had seen Joe transition in transition into this role in a more believable fashion as opposed to plot armor, which is let's we we wrote a story basically so these characters could be focused zeroed in on because hey, they're the only ones left whose whose powers can function. Besides Hal, of course, but let's not we won't we won't touch Hal. That even besides that, the if she had grown into the role and I probably would be okay with it if she was resembled more personality wise and and everything that the, to me the character I saw in Far Sector. So I see the differences and I see the fact that they're that she's they're really force feeding us her because this is what they want and you know she's the one calling all these shots and it's like and it and it's real it, and it's hard yeah it's not easy it's not easy to digest it would be different you know if the using the Kyle analogy well Kyle would be the only one left then so Kyle would have no choice I mean she knows she's I mean technically speaking. She know she does. There's no reason to believe every Green Lantern is dead. In fact, they you can make the case they know that they're not all dead at this point. But even logically, it's not confirmed that they're all dead. And again, that maybe she'd reach out to Hal. She'd know Hal was still alive. That still and it still bothers me that you know you got the whole Justice League on Earth. You would think you assume the United Planets would uh, would have con- not, even if she didn't would have contacts, you know, with with the Justice League and Superman and and via and they would know of Hal Jordan. Reaching out to Hal Jordan would probably make sense instead of let's conveniently not again plot armor because we don't want to feature Hal in the story, at least for now. So we'll kind of come up with reasons why Hal's not going to be in the story, not because it makes a lot of sense if you were looking at this objectively, looking at this with a, a real situation. It wouldn't make any sense where she wouldn't reach out to the most veteran Green Lantern that's out there that at least you that, that Simon knows about Hal. Everybody knows about Hal. To at least try to reach out to him one way or the other, back channels if need be, to get some input and to try to coordinate instead of I'm I'm stepping into the breach because hey I'm the only one here. Which again, if she was the only Green Lantern left, I guess I could buy it a little bit more. But still, I mean it's I don't know. It, I'm not being I'm not being thrilled with this book. You know, half halfway through you know the first year's worth of stories, and I, the annual to me is still the best book we've gotten in this new any post Morrison era of Green Lantern. And I wish definitely since the first issue, I, I, I thought the first issue of the series was actually pretty strong. And I, and I yeah. agreed with you. Cause I, but I remember I said it in that episode, like I have a feeling this is good. This might be the peak. Yeah. <laughs> and so far, which doesn't mean it won't, it can't course correct. So, and I will be more than happy to admit that I'm wrong if it does course correct. And when all these pieces come together, even if it takes us to issue 12, Oh my God. That at least I would say if it's if 10, 11, 12 start picking up and you wrap up this arc and it's like, OK, that, it ended well. And I would admit, OK, that at least it ended well and maybe it, it didn't peak at one right now. Absolutely. The first issue was the most interesting issue of this for for me. It might get better now that more and more of the Green Lanterns are coming together, even though they don't have rings. Maybe at least it's going to feel more like a core thing. But so far, it's like you have two the tale, tale of two stories and. The stuff with Joe, even though, again, they're forced to kind of forcing all, all of these characters, Simon, Joe, Kelly on us. This part that they're dealing with is inherently more interesting that the even though the one thing we didn't really touch upon, I think, that much was the fact that at least as Dan picked up on eons ago, at least the Green Lanterns are starting to figure out about the whole time working differently. 
and the, in the dark sectors and everything else. And at least they're starting to figure out some of the pieces of what's going on too, to explain how come we didn't know about this and how, how could this have gone on this long? So I at least like that part of this book. I did like that in the second story, but it's, yeah, it's not, you combine the art and you combine what, you know, it's just slog. I mean, slogging through right now. And it's like, the actual worst part about this entire issue is that Joe makes a giant robot and it's not even an anime reference. <laughs> <laughs> she makes, she makes, it's actually, there's levels to how this is bad because she makes a giant robot that is wearing her same glasses and her glasses are a, a reference to glasses worn by a character in the anime Gurren Lagan, a show that also has a giant robot that wears the same glasses and she makes a giant robot wearing the same glasses that is does not look like the robot from the show like what are these people doing well the other thing is the construct she makes she says she says uh it's a a, a pentaract a box made of folded space time from their point of view it'll take your guys a century to navigate their way out so we've got some time what <laughs> I is that a is is that a reference to something else? Like I hope that's a reference to something else. I don't know and I don't care. This is why I keep saying we need a goddamn Green Lantern Bible. Because the ring can do what? It does feel like a Morrison thing, right? It feels like a thing Morrison would have done. Yeah. That's that's that you you have she is con, she is manipulating the flow of time within a construct. That's I don't know what about they you just guys. said. I don't know about you guys, so that's not something I would do if my ring only had 57% charge left. And, and that's exactly what I was just about to say, that that would seem to be a really odd choice of construct when you're already running back close to 50% power. And to maintain that, you would think would t- be draining a lot of your power considering how slowly you recharge. Yeah. Um, obviously, well, she, well, let's put it this way. She just works under the assumption just like we work under the assumption that Sinestro has no idea how her ring works. And of course, Sinestro probably doesn't. And he, everything in the dialogue indicates that he's, he's more curious to why her ring is functioning. But, and of course she says that it doesn't need to be, you know, recharged. It would seem that he has no idea how slowly her ring recharges, but Hey, it's Sinestro. We don't necessarily know that he doesn't know any of these things, but it seems like it, it would, it would be an odd, it would be an odd choice to, you know, again, kind of like get into a piston contest just 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 because you can. Um, I do appreciate the fact that Sinestro's reaction to her new ring is basically just to say, "Ooh, neat. And took <laughs> and, and took them long enough. Yeah, I uh, I will say positively, I do like the way time sort of overlaps here from this issue and the previous issue, um, because one of the things I remember mentioning about issue five was. Look up in the sky. Did you notice that there's green blasts yep. and yellow blasts? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now we know that was Joe behind everything that Simon and Kelly were doing. So I think I think that like that's a little that's a cool little bit of stuff. We also like, you know, it's it's we were talking about where does the energy in that ball Simon's coming from? Where where is that coming from? It's from Joe. We got that answer. Joe Joe powered up the ball and the suit. So I thought that was interesting. The other thing I was going to mention in terms of the actual story here, because like like we said, the second part of the story, there's not a whole lot interesting happening here um, or in terms of what what we're going to talk about besides um, Lonar. But what was what was interesting uh, that do we do we know anything about the Gold Centurions? It reminds me of um, 
what were those angel-like beings from New Guardians? Oh, uh, Invictus. Well, there's Invictus, but th- then there was also the those God Killers, right? Yeah, that was a storyline. Oh, yeah. Because there were two sort of angelic-like beings in in the the New Guardian series. The first half, it was Invictus with his like solar machine ship, the so- solar system sized ship and stuff like that. Like he had literal angel wings. But then there were also like the God Killers, were like Zal from uh, uh, from Star Sapphire's race or whatever. Like that whole story. So the the Invictus stuff was the like the first half of New Guardians, and then the 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 kill the God Killer stuff from the second half of the series. Between those two, that's what the Centurion sort of reminds me of. But have we seen them before? I don't think so. Like I, they look vaguely like was uh, Zarel. Zariel, yeah, a little bit, but like also, I like I'm what I'm wondering how New Gods Heavy is going to be. Like, is the Lightbringer related to Light Ray somehow? Like, is there is there like some New God whose iconography is being used on these guys? Like, I'm not really sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not really. You're right. He does actually look a lot like Zariel. The, the lead guy definitely looks like Zariel. Zariel on that page. So yeah, it could it could be uh, it's Lucifer. Spoiler alert. Uh, I don't know. It's uh, yeah, it's uh, this is this is a t- this was a t- this was a tough issue to get through. I mean, again, it's Sinestro. The Sinestro stuff is good, which is another interesting thing between this between this book through six issues and the annual. It's awfully Sinestro heavy, which isn't yeah. a bad thing, but <laughs> but does it mean anything or is it just t- going to be ultimately be filler? Well, it's it's. Uh, I forget which, again, these two came out on the same day, so I forget which one of them had this, but he does, we do get, like, we do get his kind of take on all this, where, like, you know, yeah, the power vacuum left by the Green Lantern Corps, he's slowly filling it with his core, and he's managing to gain influence in the United Planets, who he thinks are a bunch of chumps that he can, like, he can take over after a while, and he's probably right, because the United Planets is really new at this, and they clearly don't know what they're doing. Which all would be much more believable if uh, Venditti hadn't done that stupid fear engine story. Maybe he's building another one, Mark. Maybe we're going to get another. <laughs> they built two Death Stars. Why not two uh, fear engines? Because this would make more sense for Sinestro. It's like, <laughs> but but the reality is, it's like he kind of had what he wanted to begin with the first time, or at least he had what you could say was the first step. It's like, okay, I got respectability. I've replaced the Green Lantern Corps with my Corps as a police force. People are accepting it. Let's go screw it up in a day. That was the stupidest story I've ever read in my life and so out of character. But the fact that anybody would even get, I understand he's technically got a planet, but I mean, I know most people probably in the new planets don't trust Sinestro, but the point, but the point, but uh, it makes no, it makes no. But if you got to vote, if you got to have this big, huge decision to decide whether you're letting the Guardians in, you probably don't need to probably never needs to get out of committee to decide you don't let New Cork or in. <laughs> I just like the idea of Sinestro just overnight turning into like that scene where the Joker slides down the pile of money and then sets it on fire. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. But I'll be curious to see if the Sinestro stuff during if Thorne really has plans to make for the Sinestro stuff to pay off or again, whether it's whether in a way this is just like the dead again storyline where every issue was 
even though this obviously has taken up a couple of issues of the actual proper series, but it's the same basic point that making a stop at every every next Superman villain who could possibly be responsible for the for the illusion or the fake body. Superman would just keep going to issue after issue after issue till you got the resolution that this is this just basically what the Sinestro part of this has been just to show us Sinestro. And then really he, he's got no real plans, at least for the next like six issues to do anything of consequence with Sinestro. I think, I mean, I don't know how quickly we'll get to it, but I think Sinestro and his, his rise to power are going to play into things in a big way long-term. I mean, I would like it to be short-term as well because I love Sinestro. I love Jessica. Both of them are tied to the same core now. And that core is in a position to, rise to to power and prominence very quickly and hopefully that won't be too much of a b or c plot that it can come up i I mean basically hopefully they now that they've been introduced into the story proper they'll stay around even if it is in the background for a little while but i do definitely think we're going to see you know we're going to continue to make the rounds and check in with with Atrocitus and the Red Lanterns just to get them in there and like all the, all the different suspects. Although maybe not because we're going to find out what the hell's going on with the battery in issue eight. So yeah. maybe they're not going to do like the great, the big old like long Halloween tour of all of your favorites. Yeah. A um, <clears throat> couple of things I wanted to mention. I did look it up. Uh, there have been two interesting things that have happened in DC comics with relation to the name Centurion, specifically gold one. I highly doubt either are related, but it's, you never know. DC comics could just make up something or they should, could pull something from a long dead past and be like, yeah, these two things are tied together. Um, so first, uh, least connected would probably be alpha Centurion, which Mark, I think you oh. probably have more experience yep. with. Okay. So alpha Centurion who, by the way, for those of you who don't know, I don't know anything about him I, but through reading, you know, various stuff on, on, on the internet. Apparently this guy was from Rome and then taken by aliens, taught a bunch of stuff and then deposited several thousand years later than he was abducted. We've Camp all been Bridges. there. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe the aliens could be tied into somehow these light bringers or these centurions we're seeing here. Probably not. The other thing also as least likely, but, for di- for a completely different reason is the gold centurion uh who is a guy named uh, stan who was part of the blackhawks in like an issue of blackhawks that was published in like the 60s and the reason i say the 60s is because the issue in which he's on the cover of blackhawk is has the checkerboard stuff across the top <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> we're talking old school stuff so there was the Golden Centurion in DC Comics in the 60s tied to the Blackhawks. Oh, my he, God. If there's a story where he went to space, he could have got <laughs> stuck out there and started a religion. <laughs> he got he got drunk one night and then so, and then things just escalated. And either is possible, but both unlikely for different reasons. <laughs> um, the other thing I wanted to bring up. Uh, is when Joe is going through like uh, his history, Sinestro's history, I was like, when in the holy hell did Sinestro face down the Freedom Fighters? Infinite Crisis. <laughs> yeah, apparently, I, I totally forgot about this because, you know, who, uh, who remembers all the kind of bullshit that happened around that era? Um, but Infinite Crisis number one, Sinestro killed Black Condor. 
when he was a part of the secret society of supervillains going up against the freedom fighters. Yeah, that's the same scene. I always remember this because of how fucked up it is that Bizarro kills the human bomb by like Bizarro, he punches the human bomb once and sees the explosion go off and is like, ooh, pretty, and keeps hitting him until like the explosions get dimmer and dimmer and stop coming. And he's like, oh. Oh, yeah, I do remember that scene. I do. I, I, uh, yeah, there, the, that was also um, Cheetah, like, beat the shit out of Phantom Lady and then Deathstroke drove a sword through her chest. Yeah, she was yeah. invisible at the time. So, like, I don't know. I don't know, Deathstroke. I don't know. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I, I totally forgot because that I mean, of all the things to, like, showcase Sinestro killing people, it's kind of odd that they chose the Freedom Fighter stuff from Infinite Crisis. <laughs> Yeah, these are also not the two data points you should give someone when they're going to go talk to Sinestro for the first time. I don't know. Maybe she saw other stuff. It could have been a long trip. Interesting. All right. Was there anything else about this issue we wanted to talk about? Yeah, you have to love the picking up on continuity where the fact that uh, when when uh, Joe was talking to Sinestro, you see the you see Sinestro's two hoes are fin- finally finished getting dressed on that one panel. <laughs> Oh, well, they're, <laughs> yeah, they're they're the tigers. Yeah, they're shapeshifters. They're Durlins. Oh, God. Yeah. Oh, so they, oh, you're right. That's right. I almost forgot about that part. Yeah, because see the antenna on the tigers heads and then on theirs. Oh, yeah, that's right. They they do. They tra- they transform back and forth. That makes it even weirder, doesn't it? Yeah. Sin- Sinestro hires these two women to sleep with him and, you know, be his muscle. <laughs> Good kitty. Oh, that, that, Good kitty. That's how. That's how you interpret that? I just thought he wanted to have sex with tigers and is like, oh, man, you're la- your ladies. Oh, well, you can be Mike's security. Now that first issue of the Sinestro series where he faces down at some sort of yeah. similar sort of creature without a ring. Really I was, just, has I was thinking twist. that. I was just going to say that. Yeah, that's what it reminds me of. that Because they had that cool cover of Sinestro run when he was squaring off with that. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> Oh man, uh, it's, it's, it's such an easy joke with that, but I'm just letting it go. <laughs> well, um, speaking speaking of exactly that, should we talk about uh about uh I have no segue at all. Jeffrey Thorne's been writing some stuff on Patreon. <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah, go ahead. I mean, we kind of talked about it a bit in relation to uh the edict from DC. A little bit, but there's more stuff. So for anybody who doesn't know, Jeffrey Thorne has started posting annotations of his run issue by issue and it seems to be one per month over on patreon which i guess he's just using as a blog because it wasn't behind a paywall or anything and the only reason i bring this up is because there's certain things that like we've wondered before or just never seen elaborated that he does kind of set in stone in these annotations uh the first being the length of this arc uh, so he he starts off the thing by saying, you know, I've been I've been talking about doing this for some time. Now that we're at the halfway mark in this arc, I think we can dig in. And this was posted in August, meaning the halfway point was Green Lantern number five. So not counting the annual, the arc will be 10 issues long, which line, I think lines up pretty nicely with what we learned about the the battery revel- revelation happening in number eight. So like they'll give us an answer and then two issues to deal with it. He names, like, he elaborates on what the Crux worlds are a little more. Like, we knew that Earth was the Crux of heroes. You know, it's the the world that generates more super people than anything else. Uh, we are also told that Mogo is the Crux of life. 
and Oa is the crux of memory. And I mean, Mogo, obviously, because he's a living planet and that's got to be rare. But Oa being the crux of memory, like, I wonder if it's tied to the fact that the the Owens are like one of the oldest races in the universe. And like, maybe even the fact that the Book of Oa is one of like the most extensive living records of knowledge out there. I also elaborate, also elaborating that Earth Omega and the Else world are not crux worlds. They're something completely different. Uh, the cro- the concept of the Crux world is unique to the Guardians and known only to them and the lanterns assigned to them. The worlds themselves are not publicly known to be anything more than planets uh, that enjoy Guardian special focus. So it's not just a thing that got dropped on us for the first time. Nobody in the universe knows about this except the Guardians and the handful of people they assigned there. Teen Lantern is not in possession of Corona's Gauntlet, which we knew. Her powers do not come from the central battery. She is abs- She is in absolutely no way a Green Lantern. She's not even a Teen Lantern. She's 11. She did not hack the central battery. She did not build or modify the gauntlet. She is a liar. That's and I'm interesting. Very, yes, I'm very curious what the implications of that last bit is, especially when they're like, she is not, she is absolutely in no way a Green Lantern. She is a liar. Uridian and the Bright Circle are original to the story, but their story isn't. Uh, billions of years ago, the Owens tried to strip magic out of the DCU. They failed to get all of it, but the half they collected got compressed into the Starheart. Uh, the people of Xerox, the so-called Sorcerer's World, are a staple of the future DCU of Legion of Superheroes. Xerox is not Gem, gem World. Uridian and her people are from Xerox. They do not know the Starheart is currently merged with the body of Alan Scott, which makes me think, hey, maybe Alan will be showing up in this book down the line somewhere. Battery Death. This was a this was a comp. Uh, my gosh, this was a company mandate, and since it had to happen at some point, I preferred to get the event out of the way and deal with the aftermath as one of the main threads in the arc. As of last month, we know the battery didn't actually explode, was decons- but was deconstructed on a quantum level. So not everything you see on these pages is what you think you see. What happened to Guy and Kyle? Spoilers. Sorry. And this is this is one that made me kind of raise my eye. Sorry, if we get to do a second arc, you'll find out. If not, I'll probably tell it in an interview. So it makes me wonder, like, hey, how's the how's the numbers on this book doing? <laughs> the numbers on the book actually are not particularly good. I actually I actually wrote some numbers down about this, but I'm not so we can talk about that when you get when you finish. Okay, just two more. Uh who's the person in the chair? Spoilers! All I can tell you is the character is absolutely not Metron, but like the guy in white, who we know is Lonar now, it, he is also not uh, uh this is not, also not an original character. There are already identity clues in the books. And this one, this one I wrote down because I was, I was like, I read this. I'm like, what? First, he talks about uh, what we already mentioned about bringing in Kelly and Joe because they existed outside of Green Lantern and were never addressed inside of Green Lantern. He also mentioned Ty Pham of Green Lantern Legacy is not included in this first arc because his Avengers take place outside the Prime DC universe. But I have a plan for him if we can only get that far into the story, rest assured. He also includes season five. <laughs> well, he also includes descriptions of the bleed, hyper time, and underspace. So 
if he really does have plans to bring in Ty at some point, some of what's going on may even involve the multiverse. And I mean, that the only time that's explicitly come up in this run is when the Guardians described what the barrier in space is made of. So I don't know, it does flying through it punch a hole into another universe i like i don't know but just the fact that like oh by the way we're gonna bring this bring we might be bringing Ty fam into the main continuity i that's unexpected i didn't i never thought i'd see that okay great then that's all i that's all i have there's more if anybody wants to go over there and check it out but those were the main points i wanted to hit because just some of this stuff i don't know i was i appreciated the learning and i was surprised by others yeah, I know in one of them he doubles down in his dead is dead thing. In yeah, terms that's comforting. Of <laughs> the 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 people the people who we who are dead like Arisi and stuff are are dead. So so if he, so if he doesn't get a second arc, that <laughs> it's, it's like a drive by. He just went through wiped people out and just kept moving. <laughs> well, if he I mean no matter no matter what happens, I mean we know there's. Somewhere out there, Necron's on the board again, so yeah. I don't know. Lots of dead gr- characters in these Green Lantern stories now. Hmm. He also says, I know, a couple of different times that the whole thing with the uh, ring unable to translate what Kelly says is on purpose. Cool. Like another whole spoilers, but there's a reason apparently for it. Yeah, whatever the hell that reason is, uh, no. which it would be, which would be inter- <clears throat> which would be interesting. I mean, so far the strongest things about this run are the fact are when like like his he'll gesture towards something that I had never really thought about before, but actually makes sense. Or hey, that is weird. With the promise that it could come back later as something that is like an aha moment, and and I'm still holding on to hope, even though one of the one of the main ones got answered this issue and fell completely flat for me um the other thing i I wanted to mention is uh the i think everything dan mentioned is probably the highlights of of that stuff over on thorn's patreon um but on the one he posted two days ago the 4b he did say he talked about how powerful kelly's gauntlet is so we know based on what dan said a minute ago it's not drawing from the central power battery and that she's a liar um, but he says Kelly's gauntlet is really powerful, like really powerful. It protected her and Simon from the cataclysmic event at ground zero on Oa when the battery went down. Now we see her easily burst free of the energy bubble Joe put around her with a ring. Her gauntlet rifled through a Kaluan database in order to get the location of New Korrigar, all without being expressly told to do so, only as expressions of Kelly's desire. Kelly's gauntlet is insanely powerful, and the Guardians didn't create it. God, I did not know anything after two existed. I'm gonna have to read all of these. <laughs> no, yeah, he's 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 got he's got three A, three B, four A, and four B annotations as well. Nice. Uh, I'm doing when we hang up. I I didn't see anything of of severe. He does talk a bit about the uh, in uh, in three B or four. Sorry, in four A, he says the return of the guy in white. Yes, he's back, slightly shape shifted to resemble the dominant local species. Great. Does Lonar have that power? Nothing on the internet says he does. Yeah. Anyways, but the that so that that might be the the only thing of of real relevance 
in terms of intense need to talk about. So we talked a little bit about uh, if we're going to get a second arc. Mark, you you alluded to some numbers. You want to give us the numbers breakdown? Well, I have some numbers from Green Lantern 3 and Green Lantern 4. Um, Green Lantern 3 was ranked 106 based on units. Last ride number two was 108. And they both supposedly sold the same number of units, which was only 20, which was uh, 29,000. And then Green Lantern number four was ranked number 90, was ranked number 94 and actually sold 31,000 units. So technically Green Lantern number four did do better than, than Green Lantern number three and Green Lantern, and the, the numbers for number five, like I looked, I looked, I couldn't find, I don't think they're, they've been uploaded yet, at least where I was looking. So needless to say, anytime you have a book that's hovering around the hundred mark, that ain't good. You know, it's certainly it's it's a far forget about being a far cry from the Johns era. It's even a far cry from the Venditti era when I think that when I think the main book would always consistently, I think, would rank like in the top. I think it was like in the top 40, 40 to 50 pretty consistently. Uh, now, he could just be playing coy with uh, whether he's getting a second arc, but maybe he's not. You would think at this point they would kind of if it really is only 10 issues. If he wasn't alluding to the fact that, oh, like the issue six was already basically about to come out and five had just come out, but six was, you know, pretty much done. So maybe if it's absolutely 10, a 10 issue arc that he was referring to, you would think by now he would know whether he, they were going to renew him or not. But then again, if he talks about, well, you know, if I get basically if I get the axe and I guess mail, I'll probably just tell you, you know, tell you what was I was going to do anyway after the fact, maybe maybe there is a legitimate chance that he's going to be shown the door. But if editorial has done so much to either not just approve the characters he wanted to focus in on, but arguably set, set things up for him to use these characters. And I don't, obviously it's a brand new era at DC for better or for worse. So the reality is I, I don't know if I believe that they're going to pull the plug on Thorne that quick. I mean, this issue notwithstanding, like, I hope he gets to finish telling his story, whatever that means, you know. That could be like six how- years, though. <laughs> well, it could be I- forever, depending on, unless you unless you literally have a finite concept of, let's say, more like a Morrison thing, where you assume Morrison had his, Morrison didn't have like at least a Jeff Johns-like plan that, that he could probably go on for, you know, like about 10 years or something, or, or close to it with stories that, Morrison probably had a very finite idea of the stories he wanted to tell and how long he, he would be interested in, in writing the, writing it. Thorne may not necessarily have that approach. He could. But. I mean, the smart the smart thing is to go into something like this with like, like, OK, here is here is my three year plan if it takes off. But if it doesn't take off, here's what I would do with one year, you know, like. Like that kind of thing. And like maybe we never get to see the full scope of what a long, meaty Jeffrey Thorne run on the book would be. But I basically I just want to see I, I, I want us to be able to see the answers to all of the questions that he has directly asked and also made us ask. And, you know, maybe maybe just like the last time Jon Stewart got us a true solo series, the ending is going to be super truncated and rushed because things happened and it got canceled. But I don't know. I just, I, 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 this book has to last long enough to give us that Kyle o- Okara at Vega system adventure. That's in arc two. 
well, buy so, the book so it gets dark too. <laughs> so he so he so he says, and we also don't know if that's going to be a if that's going to be a, a major a major focal point. I honestly don't really see him. I would be stunned if if all of a sudden in in, in the second arc. I don't want to call it a season. And of course, if it's a 10 issues, it wouldn't even be a season. That's like really changing definitions of terms. I find it hard to believe he would switch his focus from all the characters he's writing now. And all of a sudden we're going to get Kyle and Guy be the focus to see the second season. I I would be I'm not saying it's impossible. I would be really surprised based on where we're going now and who we're focusing in on that he really would have a great joy and desire to pivot to concentrate heavily on Guy and Kyle. Well, I would expect it to be what we've seen happen just ne- just this month where like, you know, he's Splitting. telling a he's telling a <laughs> well, he's telling a he's telling a story about his handful of characters and it and there's a reason for it to go in the dr- over in this direction and run into the Sinestro core. And that lets us bring in Sinestro and spend quality time with our Kilo. And, uh, <laughs> and also, Hey, let's bring in Jessica with the Sinestro core and like focus on her for a little bit. And like, you know, there's no reason that they couldn't do the same to incorporate Kyle into the story. Like maybe, maybe whatever happens with Joe following the, the battery mystery, her part could get wrapped up for now. And now we shift focus a little bit, or maybe it stops being a split book. Like, I don't know. Like I have so many questions. Like, like I recently uh, re-listened to the episode you guys did about, um, you know, the original plans for lost army and edge of oblivion. And it's always going to suck so bad that, Cullen got shafted. Yeah. And like the best way, the the best way that we as fans have to experience what that story was going to be is to listen to that episode of the Lantern cast. And if there's one thing Green Lantern fans should never have to do is listen to the Lantern cast. (laughs) 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 I just, I want like, even, even if this ends up being a train wreck, I want to find out. I don't want to have to find out through an interview or a podcast later. I want to be able to see how it all like unfolds because I mean, I, I think you'll, I, I think you'll get that. I, I don't think they're going to cut him off at the knees where they're not going to let him finish <laughs> his arc. Uh, I do think he'll get that. I just, yeah. But DC cut Cullen off with six issues when he was told he'd had 12. Well, yeah, but don't, but, but yeah, I mean, for, you can make the case, okay, different editorial team, but that maybe with less of a, or less certain, if, if not less, an entirely different agenda. But the reality is uh, maybe I hear things at DC aren't that great. I'm not saying it's good. <laughs> I would say it's worse than it was based on the, what they're focusing in on. I'm sure I was trying to be, devil's advocate and be objective i i have an opinion i'm just saying <laughs> it doesn't mean either way the the idea is it's almost like a pattern because don't forget van jensen got cut off at the knees because he was finally getting the chance to write to do the stories he wanted to do and then convergence and everything came along came along and he lost his book <laughs> so it's like one it's like it's like one hand it's like one hand washes the other and who knows it's probably not the case but maybe Vin Diddy doing what he did in the beginning of the Hal and the Core run was like a little like sticking it to the fact that that the whole direction of the Green Lantern franchise for a while was being directed by the Sinestro Core book. That's like part of the reason why the, the Green Lantern Core had to be pulled, you know, had to be pulled out of our universe. So the Sinestro Core 
could end up you know taking control of everything so it's like Cullen Bunn was writing this spinoff book but yet it was the one that was really dictating how everything was going so maybe there was a it, it's like a vicious it's like a vicious cycle so at the end yeah. of the day I would suspect at the very least they're going to let him finish this story now we don't know how the story is going to end and, and maybe this story was always meant to end on some kind of weird cliffhanger that had to be continued for, for another arc or two arcs before it all made sense. And that's the way he was writing it. But the rea- then that's something else. But as far as finding out like what's going on with the power, I certainly hope his arc concludes, not just with us finding out with the power battery, what happened to her and maybe resolving that issue and getting the, the Green Lanterns back to being Green Lanterns. Now, if that's not the case, then, well, some of that has to fall on Thorne too, regardless, because you shouldn't be planning like a three, a, a two to three, a, a 20 issue plus cycle in which Green Lanterns aren't Green Lantern and expect people to like it. Yeah, I did have one thing I wanted to bring up uh, in terms of news. First of all, uh, before we get too far into it, guys, uh, next issue re- is scheduled to release uh, of Green Lantern is released on October 5th. Now, I say scheduled because FYI, stuff is happening in the comic book industry, as with other production related stuff uh comic books are being pushed back uh in terms of release dates uh, I, I know uh several different series i personally subscribed to were expected in a certain week and i didn't get the the comic shops didn't actually get the issue until two weeks after the original scheduled date um so who knows <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's why the the jessica annual came out when back, it did yeah. 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 Uh, and sort of speaking to who could possibly take over after Thorne, I'm, I'm about to take one name off the table and at the same time talk about what I sort of alluded to in terms of uh, things that are happening over at DC right now. I am over. Uh, this is in, this is relevant to Green Lantern because it's news for you guys in terms of what could have been. Uh mm-hmm. I know where you're going. It, it sounds like there's something to be talked about. Maybe we'll have to interview him. Uh, I'm actually, you know, we're talking about cutting Colin off at the knees. I'm actually reading a ton of indie stuff right now. Um, Colin's doing a four issue series called Lucky Devil over at uh, Dark Horse, which is creepy and horrific and fantastic. And he also just wrapped up a series called Phantom on the Scan over at Aftershock. Colin's name is everywhere in the indie verse right now. So just go find Colin. But speaking of indie stuff, Jeff Lemire yes. is doing some things. And he also just put out a book called Primordial uh, through Image. Primordial j- number one just came out this week. Uh, and we all know Image number ones are things people buy up like crazy. So if you're interested in that and or Jeff Lemire, go do that. But over on his Substack website, he did a little sort of blog post. And I'm going to read three little paragraphs here. I, I saw this, the the one, the, the third paragraph I saw screenshot all over on Twitter, but I actually followed the source. And, and there's a little context here. So I'm going to read this to you guys. Uh, he says, Robin and Batman will not be my last DC work or work for higher project released. The same time I wrote this series, I also wrote another three issue oversized black label book for one of my all-time favorite artists doug monkey that one will be announced this coming month and when it is i'll get more into it here so for those of you who like doug monkey's work on green lantern 
Sounds like we're going to get some Doug Monkey stuff back in the DC universe in terms of a black label, a three issue black label book written by Jeff Lemire. Those will be my final two DC or work for hire books for the foreseeable future. I loved my years working for DC and Marvel. I got to collaborate with amazing artists. I got to play with incredible characters that I grew up reading. But after a point, the uh, excitement of that wears off. And the truth is things at DC and Marvel have changed dramatically and are no longer really a place where I feel like I can do what I do well. I did almost do one more DC thing last year, though. For a short time, I was attached to write Green Lantern for their 5G initiative. We were going to do it as a horror book, and it would be the flagship title in the horror line for 5G. But the more I worked on it, the less excited I got, and the the more things seemed to be in a constant state of flux with the whole initiative. And then Dan DiDio was out at DC, and I jumped to not wanting to deal with all of it anymore. It was a near miss and honestly sort of my last flirtation with doing anything significant for the big two. (sighs) <sighs> a Jeff Lemire Green Lantern horror series sounds it just it's that thing I didn't know I wanted until I heard about it and now I've always wanted it using the right characters set in the right space sectors or do, like whatever the the thing is you wanted to do there like maybe I'm thinking about it completely different than he had intended But when I think about what I personally would want out of a Green Lantern horror book, the lanterns I would want to see showcased and that sort of a thing. Yeah, that would have been interesting, at least for a little while. I don't know about ongoing, but hell yeah. Uh, Especially if like he brings some of like his like his sensibilities from his other works into it, because we've seen we've seen like especially We've we've seen Jeff Lemire horror. Hell yeah. Yeah, and I mean, we've also seen a good deal of Green Lantern horror throughout the Jeff Johns run, especially like as soon as we brought in Black Hand and the Black Lanterns and all that stuff, like like there's been like visceral blood and gore and like zombies and stuff all throughout Green Lantern lore. But like like it's that's not the kind of horror Jeff Lemire tends to do. So it's like there's just so much you can do with it. Yeah, I would say Jeff Lemire does more like ethereal horror, kind of like. Kind of like the way in which you would categorize maybe Saga of the Swamp Thing by Mm -hmm. Alan Moore as horror in some aspects. Yeah. Mark, what do you think about all that? I think a Green Lantern horror book could be interesting. I could also see why, even though that doesn't seem like necessarily the reason why the project died on the vine, I could also see why it might not go over well with with, with the fan base. I could understand why if that if that had been a concern, which seemingly based on what we're being told here, that that really wasn't the reason why the project never you know came to fruition. I could understand why there would be concerns about whether how people would take to it. But the idea that it could be the and being the flagship of the horror of the of the horror thing, I mean, it's not like DC horror is really big. So it's not that's and it sounds really cool when you hear, oh, it's the flagship. But, it's, you know, it's like. It's, it's like the flagship when you when the rest of your fleet are like four tugboats and you know and, and you're a rowboat or maybe you're not, that was not a bad good example but you you're a yacht and the rest of your fleet are like you know f- like four rowboats it's like well that's still well never well the more interesting part of that was the fact that once the deal obviously once the deal left that that seemingly seemingly was what was keeping him interested in the project <laughs> 
And then once the Dio left, things either got worse or that was the last anchor to the that kept him, you know, tied to the project. And then the minute that left, it's like, okay, now I can feel comfortable and like moving on. But yeah, it sounds like like just from what Chad read that the um, that he had he had ideas, but not necessarily ones that he was passionate about. And then as things kept changing behind the scenes at DC, he took the opportunity to bail, which is a shame because like. I was trying to remember where I've read his Green Lantern before, and I looked it up, and it was actually one of the uh, Dark Knight death metal anthologies, the last stories of the DC universe. He wrote the um, he wrote the story Last Nights, where it's Hal and Sinestro as they just kind of meet on like the final night before the the last big battle. Oh yeah, of that series. yes, that's right. Like like in the the Valley of Rings and Sinestro is there because he, if he's going to die he wants to die green. Yes. And, I, I and it was like it was so <laughs> cool. It was like a really cool, really touching tale. And the idea that we could have had more of that with with like the you know talk about genres perfect for a Green Lantern like the emotion that you can extract out of characters in a horror story through the lens of Jeff Lemire's like writing talents and his, his grasp of, of these characters based on that story. Like I, there's no way around it. We lost out. And hopefully the fact that he wrote that thing <laughs> means that he'll be open to talking about it now that he doesn't work there anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Mark, you, you mentioned something about uh, the, the horror stuff, you know, uh, not being a big deal. It's getting there. Uh, I, I don't know how much indie stuff you're reading, but specifically over at DC, we now have Nice House on the Lake and the Conjuring books as the main ones. The the Swamp Thing stuff currently gone going by Ram V is fantastic. Um, uh, I, I I can tell you one of the biggest books out right now in all of comics is called Something Is Killing the Children. Love it. It's great. Yeah, it's it's a massive success. And, and and dude, horror is I, I swear to you, outside of superheroes, right now, horror comics are the next in thing. And that's why DC is getting into it with the conjuring and nice house on the lake. Which I had the first issue of, but the uh either they got shorted or the or it was an oversight, but they never pulled at least issue two for me. So now that's probably yet another series that I'm ever gonna be reading until maybe if in trade, but yeah, that something is killing the children, and there was also another book called uh, The Autumnal, uh, which was, I believe, from Vault Comics. It was also a really big thing. Not as big as Something is Killing the Children, but like there's a, a lot of the really big books that are being uh, heavily ordered on pre-orders and stuff are are horror titles. So, in terms of what what he's saying, it look Dan DeDio made a lot of a, a lot of. Uh, of missteps and stuff like that. But if he was in charge of saying it would be a flagship of a horror line, at least Dan DiDio saw the writing on the wall early enough to know that horror was about to become a huge thing. (laughs) Yeah. And we've seen other DC. I mean, I remember when the new 52 was like just starting up like the first year or so of that, both swamp thing and animal man were just straight up horror comics and they were telling like such incredible character driven stories that were just oozing with this, like this, this this compelling world building and mythology that was crafting. And like this, they were kind of 
if you read both of them, they were separate, but they were both kind of telling the same story at the same time from two different angles until they finally intersected and it became like this huge thing. And it's, it's, it's kind of an example of what you always want DC and Marvel superhero comics to be and do, except it had more punch because it was, I don't know, I, like not playing, it's not, it's not this but like it, it, they weren't playing it as safe and sanitary as they they sometimes do with superheroes as yeah. like i to this day like you t- you mentioned those characters to me i think of the new 52 and their amazing horror run so if like you have like a green lantern book as a flagship and you have a swamp thing which is going right now I mean, apparently people like a lot and like there are dc characters that lend themselves to this yeah perfectly it's a it was a bad time to kill off the phantom stranger <laughs> i mean just justice league dark deals yeah. with some like really messed up stuff that yep. like like yeah you could i mean i dust off ragman if you have to but like yeah. you get this line going <laughs> no i mean the yeah your horror stuff is definitely something is killing children my current favorite is homesick pilots i just got the first trade of that i didn't read it yet yeah so like there's lots of there's Matt, Dan, maybe we should just start an indie show. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, speaking of shows, Dan, you want to talk a bit about your stuff that you got out there? I know you just posted a, a new episode over on Mosaic uh, Mosaic Comics. Yes. Yes. Um, uh, YouTube, YouTube.com slash C slash Mosaic Comics. It is my Green Lantern YouTube channel dedicated to analytical video essays. Uh, I just posted a new one yesterday about uh, the rest of Infinite Frontier, the six-issue miniseries that I thought was DC's big summer event, but turns out no. But it still has a surprising number of Green Lantern characters in it. And, and you know, I've... I've I, I will I'm, I will just say I'm genuinely shocked at some of the characters that showed up and who came out of it looking really good. Um, beyond that, I've, I've, I mean, really, I'm stumbling over my words right now just because this this whole episode has me flustered. But if you want a place where someone who is obsessed with Green Lantern is talking in way too much detail about current issues as well as obscure things from the last 81 years go to mosaic comics you know i the next by the time this podcast goes up my breakdown of the the annual about jessica and the sinestro core will be up spoilers i like it so much more than this everyone does that <laughs> yep i'm coming up i actually counting the stuff that i have in pre-production right now i am coming up on my 50th video and I'm getting I'm I've been focusing a lot on new stuff lately. I decided it's time to go and talk about some obscure things again. So we're going to have some fun. And hey, one of those might be something I mentioned tonight. Hmm, who could say? So youtube.com slash mosaic comics or there's a C in there somewhere. Mark will have a link. Click that link. Go there. Subscribe. Watch some videos. If you like it, share it around with your friends. I, I love doing this stuff, and I would love it for more people to see it. Woo-hoo! And speaking of people's talking at lengths on end about Green Lantern stuff, either current or obscure, Mark, how do people reach out to us? We don't do that, Chad. <laughs> uh, lanterncast.com. The email is lanterncast at gmail.com. 
You can follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook. Hashtag GLCast to track us down there. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. So whichever platforms you listen to us on, please leave us a positive review. Last but not least, the voicemail for voicemail and texting. If you want to leave us either one of those, a 708 Lantern. 708 Lantern. And let us know what you think. All right, guys. Again, uh, Green Lantern uh, 7, 6, yeah, 7. <clears throat> Comes out uh, uh, scheduled for October 5th. Today is September 14th as we record this. Uh, Last Ride 5 just came out. Uh, also, for Green Lantern fans, Jessica Cruz Unearthed came out today. Yes. So, so go find that. Yes, yeah, so the original graphic novel that appears to be totally out of continuity, but still looks really interesting because it's it's telling a story about her character in a time of her life that has always been kind of a blind spot so even if it doesn't end up you know quote unquote counting it's still something i'm really interested to see for sure so that's definitely worth uh, checking out so go do that otherwise we will talk to you guys later good night everybody good night, everybody. Good, night. Oh. good night